Kia ora. Welcome to Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I'm Andrew Dixon. It's good to have you here. Hello, welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. It's been great to see and hear some of the response to our last episode where Kat Poi shared her whakaro, her thoughts, about having courageous conversations about race. And while we're out of Tawiki o Te Reo Māori, uh, let's not forget about this important kaupapa, this idea of reconciliation, of the exploration of difference and the beauty that can be found for all when space is opened up and held, even when it's hard, when those in the dominant culture Stop and listen and learn. Today I have the pleasure of sharing with you a all I had with a good friend of mine, Manny Cox. Manny is currently studying for a PhD in the area of theology, hope and disability. Something that is very real to him as someone with cerebral palsy. Manny is one of the sharpest minds I know, and his perspective on life and faith is often challenging, especially to those of us who don't have the same barriers as he does. This all was in fact so rich that when I would usually be wrapping up the conversation, I still had a heap to ask him. So I kept asking questions and he kept talking. And as a result, I've split this conversation into two parts, with the second part being released as the next episode in a fortnight. But trust me, you will have a fair bit to digest and ponder before then. We talk about what led him to this combination of theology, hope and disability, about the use of language and what it says about underlying assumptions regarding disability, And we even tackle church healing culture as he has experienced it in his life. Does God heal? Why isn't he healing? What does church healing culture say to people like Manny? So get ready to go deep and have a good long think about what you believe about disability. This is episode 15 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Manny Cox. And one of the issues... And questions I had in the midst of that is, where is God? Why is he allowing me to go through my disability and my depression? Why is it that I'd been taught that God was a healing, liberating God, and yet that wasn't happening in my life? I'm here today with my good friend Emmanuel Cox. Kia ora, Manny. Kia ora. Uh, how are you? Good, good. Glad uh, to be in the conversation. Yeah, and I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. So uh, why don't we start with just, who are you, bro? Where, where are you from? Um, tell us a bit about you. Probably to start off, you should um, know a little bit about why you're hearing an old sort of voice. Um, I've got cerebral palsy um, and basically what that means is um, when I was born or around the time I was born there was some damage caused to part of my brain which controls the coordination over my entire body. And and um, while there are a lot of 
different ways that cerebral palsy can play out. Um, for me, it's um, pretty much the muscle control of my whole body. Mm. I grew up in Papakura in mm -hmm. South Auckland. Now I love that area. That is my home. Mm. Um, and when I think about family, um, I think about growing up in Papakura. I... Um, but then I also think about my Dutch heritage going back to um, my parents immigrating a few years before I was born. Um, and um, Dutch culture was always an undercurrent in life and mm. home. So, yeah. Um, uh, I often, when I fill in those forms, how do you identify? I, I often say New Zealand, European and Dutch mm. because, um, yeah, for me, that's my whakapapa. Yeah. And uh, not just a Kiwi. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Kiwi can be a term that kind of hides some of those finer details of yes, where we're actually from. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Um, and uh, obviously you're in Christchurch now. Yes. Um, got a family? Yep. I'm married to Sarah and we've got one four-year-old son. And he keeps you on your toes. Uh, very much. <laughs> um, and... And as well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that we could talk about, yeah, about yeah. things that you engage in. Yeah. Um, one of the primary ones we want to chat about today is the area that you're studying in. Mm. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? You've, you've done a whole lot of study in the past. We first bumped into each other mm. at what was Bible College of New Zealand, is now yes. Laidlaw College. I won't say how many years ago that was, but, um, but a number of years ago. Yes. And, uh, and now you're actually into your PhD. So yeah. do you want to tell us a bit about what, what sort of area you're studying and what does that look like? I'll, I'll get to what I'm doing now, but I'll just take you on a bit of a journey into this space. Yeah, cool. I grew up in a church that really didn't believe a lot of things very differently to most other Christian organisations. And... Um, while I still respect and love many of the people involved with that group, mm. in the early, two, uh, early 2000s, I started really reconsidering what I believed and um, pulling it apart. And that journey meant that I um, ended up leaving that background and mm. coming into what what can be called an orthodox way of seeing faith. And by orthodox, I mean the, the way that Christians throughout the centuries mm. have seen the most important aspects of Christian belief. And um, 
I also had a real burden that this way of seeing faith and seeing God really was a way that offered hope to people. See, when I had gone through depression and one of the issues and questions I had in the midst of that is, where is God? Why is he allowing me to go through my disability and my depression? Why is it that I'd been taught that God was a healing, liberating God, and yet that wasn't happening in my life. And so I had real questions about hope. But at the same time, the church I grew up with had a very, a very concrete sense of hope that God was coming back, God was coming back to set up a world where everything was set right. Um, And so I had these two tensions. How do I hold on to hope for the future? And what is hope now? And as I came into Orthodox belief, I started to find answers or glimmers of what that might look like. And I started feeling the pull towards studying more. Mm. And that led me to Bible college. To, um, I had a degree in maths and computer science and didn't feel that was a good fit for me anymore and felt like I needed to spend a bit of time learning about my faith. So that's how I ended up at Laidlaw. Mm. Um, By the end of the first year, I had come to a point where I realised my understanding of the gospel was very different to the understanding I'd grown up with and I felt I needed to leave the tradition I grew up with and Mm. I did at that stage. But I well and truly got the bug got bitten by the bug for theological study. And I felt like I was being drawn towards a master's. And I started my master's at Bible college, but felt like I wanted more. So I ended up going to Regent College in Canada and doing a master's over there. At Regent, I wanted to write my master's thesis looking at hope for people with disabilities. And I wanted to do a part of it looking at the theology of hope in detail and a part of it applying that to people with disabilities. 
The advice I got at that stage was that that was too much for a master's project. I, I needed to focus either on disability or focus on really getting to understand the theology of hope. I believe you need to understand hope before you can write about it for a specific group of mm. people. And therefore I am opted to study hope and in particular study one of the major voices in the theology of hope, Jürgen Moltmann. I came back to New Zealand, not quite finished at Masters, but I had a job offer to work at Laidlaw College and be involved with the development of some disability-related content mm. and um, developments across the college. Um, and so I came back, I worked part-time, and I finished off my master's. Mm. After three years at Laidlaw, three good years, my contract came to, the, to an end. I started to ask, what next? And for me, this is where the question of what does God's calling look like? And what does working for the kingdom look like? Really hits the ground. Because I... Um, I looked at maybe going out and getting another job in another organisation. Um, what about working in um, the in a research organisation mm -hmm. that research disability? What about working in a NGO around disability, that sort of thing. I also had, on the other hand, the idea of study because I was still bitten by the bug. And you still had that question yes, sitting there, didn't yes, you? Yes. That you hadn't got to tackle in your, no, your Masters. No. And so, um, as I explored both of those things, it was also a time of self-reflection for me. Who am I? What, what do I feel I, I am made for? How can I as a person give in to the, the work of the kingdom? Mm. And it wasn't that you, that I, if I left, um, left theological education, I was no longer working for the kingdom. Mm. 
or if I um, didn't work in a church, I was no mm. longer working for the kingdom. I don't believe that because whatever your idea of God as king is, if you believe he is king over the whole world, then when it, wherever you work, yeah. if you've got an ear to what he is doing and what he wants done in that space, and you're actively trying to work that out, then you are working for the kingdom, mm. no matter where that is. So, but for me, as I went through this period of discernment, I came to the place where my mind and my talents are best used in research and in teaching. And that's me. And, And my passion in that space is theology and how do the ideas of Christianity Mm. speak to disability and speak to the real need that all people have for hope. Yeah, I think that's that's a really important point you make there because, I mean, that's at the heart of this podcast that it's about finding out who you are and within who you are what are the ways that you operate to bring a bit of heaven down to earth? Yeah. And for, for some people, that's being in a really frontline role um, yeah. of working in the social spaces. Um, for, some of, for some people, that's doing the more academic route, which is, is what you're doing. Yes. And actually, it's not that one's doing it and one's not. No. It, it's about the fact that actually we're all contributing to this big thing. Yeah. What does your contribution look like? Yeah. And God made us all differently. Mm. And and your your best contribution will be doing what God created you for. And that might be very different. Well, it is very different for different people. Do you think there was a... Um, like you, you talked about maybe becoming part of a research organisation... Yeah. Uh, but then you've ended up doing this PhD. Do you think there was a right or wrong decision between those? Or was it more a case of, here's two really good options, I get to pick one? Um, at the time, yes. And that's because the best way for me to work in those organisations is to have some research under my belt. So, so looking back, yeah, I needed to do a PhD. Coming out of this PhD, you know, I don't know where God will put me. Um, it will depend on my physical ability at that time. Though cerebral palsy is a non-degenerative condition, um, I, like many of many people, have had a bit like a post-impairment syndrome, where 
where because I work, my body's so hard and in different ways. To most other people, my body shows signs of loss of function Mm -hmm. sooner than than most other people. Yeah, right. So I need to be aware that I I don't necessarily know what my body Mm -hmm. will let me do in four or five years. So assuming all's equal, uh, I don't know where God will Mm. have me and and if that is in a general research space, he'll lead me into that. But if that's in um, another sort mm. of space within the broader church, mm. he'll lead me there. Yeah, and cool. uh, I'm not really worried about that now. Yeah, cool. So tell us about the what is it that you're studying? At the moment, I'm um, I'm asking, what does it mean to be an agent of hope in this world, with our abilities and inabilities? And I'm bringing a disability lens to that. And let me just unpack that a little bit. I I believe that all of us are on a continuum between withering and things that are not right in our lives, things that sap us from the life that we were created to have. We're on we've got those things in our lives and we've also got areas of flourishing, areas where where things are the way they're meant to be. And it's not a black and white picture, but we're all on this sort of we've all got all sorts of shades of grey, if you like, between withering and flourishing. But the most important thing is to remember that God created us for flourishing, mm-hmm. for life, yeah. for abundant life. The natural state of the world is to flourish, not to wither. But while we're not completely flourishing, the question comes up, How do we be agents of hope in this world of flourishing and withering? And uh, with our strengths and with our weaknesses. And I think that is true for all people. Regardless of whether you identify as having a disability or not. And so I'm asking the question, what does that mean for all people? But I believe that disability presents a helpful lens for saying, what does that look like? Mm. 
a helpful way of understanding the multiple ways that there is brokenness and withering in the world. But also a helpful way of looking at how there can be flourishing when other people perceive that there's withering. Yeah, right. Tell us a bit about that. Disability is often thought of in negative terms. Yeah. Um, you, even, even you might have heard or even used the term confined to a wheelchair. Mm. Where the, think about the word confined. It's about limitation. Yeah. It's about you can't go where you want to go. When the reality is, for me, my wheelchair means I can go so many other places that I wouldn't be able to yeah. go walking. So for you, it's a really positive, liberating thing. Yeah, so there's no sense to me as a wheelchair user that I am mm. confined by it. And and I guess that is where often disability is wrongly perceived as limiting, tragic, broken, yeah. when in fact there's so much of it that can be good, but can be different. Do you think that's amplified in the church because we have this thing about wholeness and we have a picture of wholeness that doesn't necessarily cater to people whose bodies are different than the majority of us or is it just an all society thing that's no different outside of the church both and yeah it's very difficult totally but um but I think society in general has, a, has often a negative view. Yeah. And, and, and the church uncritically has adopted that view and read scripture through that lens. Mm. Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting way uh, of putting it. And so we've not seen the nuances in scripture because we've read it through a problematic societal lens. Mm. Can I give you an example? Yes, please. Um, There's a well-known healing example of Jesus where um, a man who can't walk wants to get into the house where Jesus is. And his mates lift him up on the roof, dig through the roof and lower him through. And, and then Jesus responds and says to the man who's, uh, who can't walk, your sins are forgiven. Mm. 
and then people around him says, who's this guy for forgiving sins? Mm. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus replies, so that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins, stand up, take up your mat and walk. And the man is healed. And so people read that and they think, oh, that must mean God forgave him. And God forgave him so that he could be healed. Mm. He needed to be forgiven so he could be healed. Christ, you know, the forgiveness Mm. was just the preamble to what Christ mm. really wanted to do, the healing. So so coming, pe- people are reading it with the, the assumption that healing is the outcome that Jesus wants. Yes. And, and so because of the, they're reading it with that assumption, you're saying that they then interpret the forgiveness of sins in the light of that. That they read the forgiveness of sins as necessary yeah, well. for the healing. And, and, and the way I read it is I say, actually, his friends are doing whatever they can to get around him to break down the barriers so that he can meet Christ. Mm. We don't know whether he wanted healing or not. Yeah, well... We're we're not told it. We're just told that he, the friends meet him, take him in to meet Christ. Mm. Christ's response to him is exactly the same as his response to everybody else who encounters him. Your sins are forgiven because of me. And it is only because of the stubbornness of the crowd, the teachers who, who know the rules and know how the belief should be mm. because they are not they are not flexible enough to see God break their boxes. That Christ has to say, Alright, I'll show you that I have authority to do this. And then he heals the man. And so uh, I want to argue that that while I have no problem with the idea that Christ may heal people with disabilities, Mm -hmm. the nuance of that in that passage is Forgiveness of sin is so much more important. It is the priority. Mm. And that's the real healing that that's that needs really, to happen. Yeah. How has that outworked for you and your personal experience of church? 
what have you encountered that's been like really positive for you as someone with cerebral palsy um, within a church space and what is what have been those times where um, this theology that you're talking about of of assumption that the healing of bodies is the most important thing um, how has that outplayed for you as well within that church space for me growing up in um, this church I did there was a real emphasis on you on the life that God wants us to live is a healthy, fit life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if we don't, there's something wrong. And um. And that played itself out in the expectations around youth group, right. around youth camps. It was all about sports, it was all about mm. physical activity, that sort of thing. Um, and um, don't get me wrong, for many people, that is the way they enjoy life. And, and it is a good, important part of life. Um, but as a person with a disability, because that was the modus operandi of social activity, I felt excluded from mm. that. And so for me, that expectation that the good life is a normal physical life it was exclusionary. Mm. And I was very hurt by that and so one of the turning points in my faith was actually coming to the point of knowing God loved me, Mm -hmm. God had grace for me irrespective of the reality of my body Mm. and and that, that was a learning process. Mm. In, in that time, did you seek healing? Was that something you prayed for? Yes, it was, but it was something I thought, but it was also something I didn't expect. I, I don't remember mm. whether that was mm. not believing what I was taught or or just, yeah, yeah. I had another period later in my life where that was more profound for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned early on that I'm, um, I am aware that my body is changing and aging mm. in, in other ways. And faster than others. For 
people with cerebral palsy or many people with cerebral palsy, that even begins in their mid-twenties. Um, and I um, started to struggle with walking long distance, started to have fatigue issues, issues with mental health in my mid, mid to late twenties. And um, I can remember while I was at Bible College having a real wrestle with my body um, and, and struggling with the reality that I, I'd moved from someone who walked everywhere I wanted to go. Like, it would not be unusual for me to walk four or five k's in a day. Um, and um, to, to needing a scooter, sometimes even needing that to get round the campus mm. of college, which, as you know, is not huge. Mm. Um, and then moving to needing a power wheelchair. And I can remember um, being um, really wrestling with God, I don't want this. I'm an active person. People with severe disabilities need oh. these power chairs. And I own that with my own prejudice. Oh. But I had it. It was real. When I grew up, only the most severely disabled kids had power chairs. Mm. There was no sense of using them for maintaining energy. And so that's, that's the psyche I grew up with. And mm. I didn't want to move into a power chair. And at the same time, I was rethinking my faith on so many levels and also having um, contact with gen what I'll call gently charismatic people who were, who were holding out healing as a possibility mm. while accepting the now but not yet but they were holding it out and for me, that was a challenge. And I remember being in a church and it's, and they had uh, um, talk every two, two or three times a year about healing. Did offer healing prayer and I remember really wrestling with God about that. Why not me? Oh. Why? why uh, and... I didn't necessarily want expect God to make me normal, mm -hmm. but I, it would have been nice had He given me back the ability I had when I was younger. But anyway, I remember wrestling with God and sitting with some friends and really venting. 
really talking about my anger with this God who said he would heal, but mm. didn't heal. And it hurt. And you know the surprising thing? That moment was my healing moment. When when I felt God, God's presence in that moment saying, it's all right, I've got you, I'm looking after you, you don't need to pursue this any longer, trust me. And that was a liberating moment and I... Yeah, I look back and say that was a healing one. Yeah, cool. And the reality is being in a wheelchair has meant, even though I walk a bit, using my wheelchair has meant so many, being able to do so many things that I probably would struggle to do had I walked. For example, I can take my son on a walk when he's sitting on my lap. That would have been far more difficult to carry him when I was walking. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's given you some special moments that you yes. might not have otherwise had. Yes. Well, that's, that's deep. Yeah. Um, hearing you talk about that healing moment for you, like just reminded me of the story that you talked about of, of Jesus with the, the paralysed man and going, this is the he- healing I'm after, but actually this is the healing I need right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you having one of those moments. Mm. Um, and one of, you know, those are some real heaven down to earth yeah. moments yeah. where actually this is embracing the wholeness of God now. So that's the end of the first part of my corridor with Manny. I'm sure that will have left you with a heap to think about as it has done for me. Since I had this conversation, I've been noticing what my language says about assumptions I have, and not even just about disability, but about race, about addictions, mental health, about anyone who's different to me. And there's so much else to ponder and chew on from what Manny shared, I'm not even going to try and summarise it. Um, But just offer the challenge to go away and consider what this means for you. What thoughts does it prompt for you? What actions will you take from here? And if you're brave enough, I would love to hear from you about where you get to with that. You know, sharing your thoughts may encourage someone else. You can feed back to me on Facebook or Instagram at, at downtoearth.conversations or message me through my website, downtoearthconversations.com. Thanks again to Ignition Systems for your support and to all of you for listening. And don't forget to keep an ear out for the next episode where I continue this corridor with Manny and bring even more food for thought about theology, hope, and disability. Until then, me inoi tato. E to matau matua i te rangi, kia tapu to ingoa, kia tau mai to rangatira tanga, kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite anō ki tō te rangi. Humma e kia mātou ai nei, he taroma mātou mō te nei rā. 
ムロマトハラメマトホキエムルネイオテホンガエハラナキャマトアウワホキマトエカウヤキャファカウイヤエガリファコランヤマトイテキノ Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.